There's a lot of surprising stories in the Bible, especially stories about gratitude. And that's the topic of our message today. You know, it's easy to thank God when things are going well, when things are going difficult. You're in the hospital, people you know are sick, they've gotten laid off, you know, you've got broken toes and feet and all kinds of things happening. Um, our hearts swell with gratitude when, when we're prospering, we're flourishing, things are good, we feel blessed. Maybe it was God answered a prayer that you prayed in the exact way that you asked for it to be answered. Or maybe something unexpected happened to really brighten your life and your hearts just flush with gratitude. And this is what made some of the songs, Jason, you selected so perfect, was that what happens in your heart when there's moments or seasons when things don't go well and life really begins to challenge you? Um, perhaps the spirit of gratitude doesn't flow. When somebody said, that's deceptive, <laughs> you're thinking, well, it would be. Um, but the word of God is clear uh, in this First Thessalonians 5.18. It says, um, it teaches us to be thankful in all things. In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. You know, I've had people at Crossway who ask me all the time, I want to know God's will for my life. And um, I'll say, well, this, is, this, ex- this describes God's will for your life. Give thanks. No, no, no. I want to know who I'm marrying and what job I'm going to have and where am I going to live. It says, no, God doesn't tell you those sorts of things. He tells you how to live your life. Be thankful. Trust God. Um, they're not satisfied with that answer. And a lot of times we aren't either. But this is the will of God for you. Give thanks. It's God's will for believers to give thanks, and it makes perfect sense. Why? Well, think about it like this. Has God ever thought or acted in a non-loving way toward you? Has God ever acted in a non-loving way toward you? Or has he always lovingly acted for your eternal good? Has everything God's ever done always been for your eternal good yes yes God if God always acts towards you in love he's always committed to your eternal good <clears throat> your ultimate good then why shouldn't we give thanks to him in everything even those things that seem so hard and difficult at the moment God is using them for our eternal good our ultimate good If you study gratitude in the Bible, you will find it's shown in many places you wouldn't expect. And I'm going to look at several unusual displays of gratitude. And surprisingly enough, they are offered during the moments of great testing rather than after the rescue is secured. The giving of thanks in these sobering moments was not done as a result of having the victory in hand, but as an honest and confident offering to God. As we look, it's helpful for you to compare your situation today to what they faced then. Go ahead and compare your situation to what these guys faced. First, the first little uh, episode here is David when he gave thanks to God in the face of deep injustice and attack. In Psalm 69, David cries out in distress to God to save him from enemies who want to destroy him. He was suffering the effects of hatred and mocking 
while disgrace and injustice combined to take a huge physical toll on his life, emotional toll. In verse 4, David declares his situation. Those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs of my head. Those who would destroy me are powerful. Those who oppose me with lies. It could be that David wrote the psalm while fleeing from King Saul, trying to stay one step ahead of his life. Maybe David wrote this during the Israel Civil War when, when they had rejected him as king. Tell me, do you ever write down your thoughts like this? My enemies attack me all day long with lies. Do you ever write that down? What would possess David to write these lines in verse? But Psalm 69, 30 and 31, near the end of the chapter. During all this suffering, David gives thanks to God. And he assigns superior value to the offering of thanksgiving to the offering of animal sacrifice. Now, the prescribed worship back then was animal sacrifice. But David steps out and says, Note, the value of thanksgiving is superior to the value of animal sacrifice. David says, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. This will please the Lord more than an ox or bull with horns and hoofs. Hmm. David recognized that giving thanks while facing distress was more pleasing to God, better than any other offering he could give. What a reminder today that the authentic expressing of gratitude to God is always a valuable offering to him. Second story, Daniel. Daniel gave thanks to God despite despite foreboding danger and risk. Daniel was born into a noble life in Judah, but was enslaved as a teenager in Babylon. Exiled from his homeland, cut off from his family, Daniel was pressed in every way to conform and assimilate into this new heathen culture. A teenager. Yet Daniel followed God with his whole heart, continually distinguishing himself while serving two successive kingdoms. When the Persian king Darius wanted to promote Daniel to second highest rank in his kingdom, other officials conspired to take Daniel down. They convinced the king to issue an irrevocable edict. Pray only to the king or suffer the lion's den. With his life at risk, Daniel could have fearfully remained silent or even accused God of injustice. But Daniel remained steadfast and faithful continuing as his custom to pray and give thanks to God three times a day. He had a habit. Three times a day, he was going to thank God. Daniel 6, 10 and 11. When Daniel, now get this, when Daniel knew that the document had been signed, Daniel knew that the law preventing him from praying to anyone other than the king had been signed. He knew it. He went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Daniel knew it was a setup. 
That did not stop him from giving thanks to God. And the men, evidently his habit was so regular, the men knew when he'd be praying, so that's when they came. They looked in the window, there he is on his knees giving thanks to someone other than King Darius. Daniel chose to give thanks to God despite the risk and danger that was presented. One thing that makes the story so really surprising was that Daniel wasn't shot by the threat on his life. I mean, the Daniel, the lion's den basically was a means of execution, right? We could speculate what specifics Daniel thanked God for. His faithfulness at every step. His constant provision. His goodness no matter what. Any of these thanksgivings would be true even if God had never rescued Daniel. And true to the king's edict, Daniel was thrown into the lion's den for an entire night, but emerged wholly alive without so much as scratch for God had shut the lion's mouths. As a result, the fame of Daniel's God was proclaimed throughout the kingdom. Third story, Jonah gave thanks in the belly of a fish. Unlike Daniel, Jonah was in a desperate situation of his own making. God had told him to go to Nineveh to warn the people of imminent judgment if they did not repent. But Jonah fled the opposite way on a ship to Tarsus. When a violent storm threatened to capsize the ship, Jonah saw it as God's judgment and told the sailors to throw him overboard. When they did, Jonah was promptly swallowed by a large fish. He could have gotten angry, but in the belly of the fish, he remembered to thank God. In the belly of the fish, he remembered to thank God. For what? For the rescue from the ocean, from the storm. Jonah 2. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord's God from the belly of the fish. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you in your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Jonah had made the connection that God was holy, who loved with steadfast love, and he gave thanks to him. After this prayer of gratitude, Jonah had the great fish spit Jonah up on dry land. And then Jonah obeyed and went to preach as the Lord had commanded him. So what have we got? Being attacked by the king, schemed against by other officials of the government, swallowed by, thrown overboard in a storm and swallowed by a fish, giving thanks. Did your situation compare to any of these so far? Then just all right. Number four. No one had ever seen or heard a more unusual band of soldiers. As the men moved steadily towards the front, no armor gleamed in the sun. No war cry pierced the air. Instead, colorful robes adorned these soldiers. And they were armed only with songs of praise. At the start of the song, two words rang out that surely seemed premature. Give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. 
what in the world am I talking about? No. Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles 20. So sang the first wave of King Jehoshaphat's army. Remember, he sent out the song leaders. They were leading the charge, the, the worshipers. So sang the first wave of King Jehoshaphat's army. The enemy, certainly disoriented by this unusual operation, probably took great courage. What are they doing coming out to me with songs and robes when we have battle axes and arrows and swords? They were probably thinking Judah's warriors had lost their mind. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? But as events came to pass, the worshippers' songs of praise proved more powerful than any sword. For the Bible continues, when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. Strange things. Judah's enemies were routed by the Lord when the song of thanksgiving filled the expectant air of war. God heard the spirit of gratitude in these two words, give thanks. Give thanks. How many battles do we face today, even if the foes are somewhat different, could be won with the same two words, give thanks? How many battles do you face today could be won with the same two words? We don't know until we try. God is always moved at this heartfelt sound and prayer. He's always moved. Fifth story. Paul gave thanks in the middle of a raging hurricane. In Acts 27, Paul had been tried, imprisoned, placed on a Roman guard, and put on a ship going to Rome. Things were going pretty badly. <laughs> now the ship was caught in an extended, violent hurricane. On the third day, the truth tried to protect the ship by banding it with ropes and then by throwing the cargo and the ship's tackle. I looked up what ship's tackle really was. It's all the ropes and things they used to unload and load and move the sails up and down. So they had no control of the boat anymore. They tried to, they tried to save the boat by doing all that. And then the 14th day, have you ever been caught in a hurricane for 11 days straight? I mean, normally a hurricane passes over in a couple of hours. This was an 11-day hurricane. And they're in the water in a boat. It's a big boat, but it's not ocean liner. It's... By the 14th day of not seeing the sun or the stars. Can you, can you imagine? Not seeing the sun... For 14 days or the stars 11 days they gave up all hope of being saved that same night an angel appeared to Paul in a dream assuring him no one would die but even then the storm raged on and with the ship close to being dashed against the rocks the sailors dragged out four anchors and prayed for daylight. So even after 
the dream, and Paul was assured that no one would die, the storm continues for another whole night. Acts 27, 33 and following. Just before dawn, Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything for 14 days. Now I urge you, take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. After he said this, he took some bread and gave thanks to God in front of them all. Then he broke it and began to eat. They were all encouraged and ate some food for themselves. Altogether, there were 276 of us on board. Paul gave thanks to God, not after the storm had passed, but during the worst of it, after not having eaten for 14 days. What would supply the gratitude that would cause Paul to give this prayer of thanksgiving to God? Could somebody online mute their microphone? Don't you know the other 275 people on this ship wanted what Paul had? They all knew. They all knew that he was the guy that was saying, eat something. None of you are going to die. You need this to survive. And they haven't seen the sun for 14 days. Don't you think those other people wanted what Paul had? (laughs) I would. Give me some of what that guy's got. Do you see how the power of gratitude shapes the lives, not only of the person giving the gratitude, but those people around it? Around it? Your giving thanks to God shapes the people around you. (laughs) And we have a national holiday called Thanksgiving. Thank God. Each of these five stories show people in desperate situations, but in the face of danger... They give thanks to God. None of them had received the victory at the time of their prayer of thanks. None of them. May we demonstrate the same faithful spirit of gratitude to God in our own lives. Like David, let's show gratitude to God in times of deep distress. Like Daniel, let's offer thanks to God no matter the trials and schemings plotted against us. Like Jonah, let's show gratitude to God for hard consequences that bring about repentance. Like Mary just shared with us. Like Jehoshaphat, let's offer thanks to God in the midst of the greatest attacks and warfare. And like Paul, let's offer thanks to God even in the midst of the storm while en route to further trials. You know, when they got on the shore, what happened to Paul? He was bitten by a viper and shook it off. And then they thought he was a God. Don't you know those people, those other 275 people, wanted to know what was driving Paul? Hmm. But I have one more story. Of the same type, yet much different. It's at the Last Supper, when Jesus gave thanks to the Father before going to the cross. Luke 22, 15 through 20. This is Jesus speaking. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. You with me? 
I desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus knew what was happening. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He knew that this would be his last Passover on earth. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will, need, I will not drink the food of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is a new covenant in my blood. On the evening before his crucifixion, Jesus eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with his apostles. This meal recalled the promised deliverance of captive Israel from the angel of death by the application of the blood of the Passover lamb. Fully aware that he was going to be betrayed, arrested, mocked, beaten, and crucified, Jesus stopped to give thanks to God. It's recorded three times during the meal that Jesus paused to express his gratitude to God the Father. During supper before the cup, before breaking the bread, and after supper before taking another cup, Jesus gave thanks for the bread and the wine that would soon represent his body broken and his blood spilled. These weren't the common routine or prayers of thanks that we offer up before we eat. In giving thanks for the bread and the cup, and by explaining that these elements represented his flesh and blood, Jesus showed the depth of the sacrifice he was about to give. He was saying, in effect, Yes, Father, I willingly surrender myself to your calling no matter the cost of my life. Jesus gave himself to God for his people, not under coercion, but freely and with gratitude. Grateful for the privilege to glorify his Father, and complete the mission that he had been sent to fulfill on the earth. Today, we also give thanks and eat the Lord's <coughs> Remember these saints who rather than doubt or fear or complain, gave thanks to God in the midst of hardship and trial, trusting him to provide what he deems best. And let us look to Jesus, how he gave thanks to God in offering his blood to establish a new covenant with us. I ask you to think about these truths as we come to the table of Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us as a true Passover lamb, who loved us to the very end. By the witness of his broken body and his shed blood, may God reassure each of us that we belong to him, that he has forgiven us of our sin, and will convict us when and where we need to repent. You know, as we remember Christ in the suffer, supper, we're not thinking of someone far, far away, absent and disconnected from us. Indeed, rather by faith, we are identifying with and being shaped by one who is with us. He is in us. When we eat the bread and drink the cup, we taste who we are. People loved and redeemed by the creator and the Lord of life. We, we aspire to be more like Jesus. You know, Jesus was, the, Jesus was the perfect human. I mean, he was not only God, but he was also the, 
the most authentic human. Which is all we can hope to be, right? We can hope to be truly human. We were made, we belong to him. We were made to worship him and be to conform to him. When we eat, when we feast on Christ by faith, he transforms us into his own image because we belong to the Lord and are made to be like him. We never find our true identity by looking outside of ourselves. That whole scheme is a lie from the devil. The Lord's Supper opposes the idea that your personal identity is something that you can develop on your own. Why? For in this meal, we are found in Christ. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? This participation is what Christians call communion. The vital connection with Christ in which we fellowship with him like branches attached to the vine. Some people call this the Lord's Supper. Some people call it, which is the, the, the meal aspect. Some people call it communion, which is the connection to Christ and the connection to one another. As people united to Christ, we are also united to other Christians, participating as one in Christ and again as one in his church. Listen, the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who also are many, one, one body, and we partake of the one bread. By sharing this meal and giving thanks to God, we declare to ourselves and to one another that we belong both to Christ and to each other and proclaim Christ's death until he returns. You know, all this and more <clears throat> was on Jesus' mind as he prayed that night. When he gave thanks that night before his crucifixion, he was thinking this and much more. Some churches call this meal the Eucharist, which is taken from the Greek word for what? Thanksgiving. Lord's Supper. Communion. The Thanksgiving meal. That's what it is. As believers who participate in Christ, we are called to give thanks to him. Not just individually, but corporately. No matter your situation, you can give thanks to God. Be reminded that God's grace is greater than your sin. Believe in your hearts that gratitude is more befitting than ingratitude for those who say they follow Christ. You ever known a grumpy Christian? Oxymoron. Thomas Brooks, a Puritan pastor, wrote this, and this really gripped me. We have more need of giving thanks than we do to pray. What is he talking about? We have more need to giving thanks than to pray for our mercies far outweigh our needs. Say that with me. For our mercies far outweigh our needs. You get it? God's mercy towards us far outweighs our needs. Therefore, 
Thanksgiving should be the priority. Right? What? When mercies stack up to here and your needs are here, what's the right response? Thank you, Jesus. He goes on to write more. What multitudes of mercies we enjoy, both temporal and spiritual. Our needs are affected by our own sin, but all of our mercies are unmerited and undeserved. This mountain of mercies, all unmerited, all undeserved. Your heart's filled with gratitude when you begin to see what God has done and is doing. Thankfulness is the sure evidence of our sincerity to God. Thanksgiving is a self-denying grace. Taking the crown off of ourselves and put it on the head of our creator. Thankfulness is a free will offering that holds community with the music of heaven. You know, what's the major theme of the music in heaven? Praise, worship, thanksgiving. <laughs> Be thankful for the mercy and the grace and the love of our God poured into you by his spirit. We're going to uh, come and, and take of the bread and the juice, the cup. And then we'll sit down and we'll take it all together. So, um, Preston, would you come up and, and pray over these first? Just offer each one in prayer. prayer, prayer. Mm -hmm. Father, where do we start? <laughs> we start with a great thanksgiving to you. For your... Your wisdom and your love and your compassion, your mercy towards us that you would send your son. Thank you, Father. We thank you. We're humbled that you would love us to that extent, to buy us back. That you'd be willing to pay the price of your own son. And Lord Jesus, as you ask us to remember you, to remember you every time we do this, and so we do. We remember the humility of becoming one like us, a human, and walking in that, in that place here among us on the earth. We, we remember that you loved us even though you knew our hearts. You reached out and loved the people around you day after day after day. We remember that you were not given the beautiful form or figure, but you lived us among us as an average human being. We remember that you were reviled and cursed and rejected people set you apart considered you cut off from the covenant of the, of the very one that you were one with how ignorant we have been we remember even as Bill has 
has told us here, your great heart to thank your Father for the things and the steps and the path that was ahead for you. We remember your suffering. We remember your death. We set these things, these simple things, juice and bread before you. And we set them apart as holy to represent the most holy offering that was ever presented before you. And so, Lord, we come. We come in an expectation of communion with you, Lord Jesus. We come in humility. We come in great thanksgiving for all that you've done on our behalf. In the name of Jesus. Amen. What we offer so please come. Come and uh, partake and then we'll come back to the places and then we'll...